0: I'm going to read from Romans 8. I'm going to start back uh, in verse 1. It's on page 1134 in the Church Bibles. Romans 8, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you.
1: Thank you, Will. reading for us. So, uh, there you are, uh, coming into land at Heathrow. And alongside you, uh, uh, seat just next to you, uh, is somebody who looks as though they are on the verge of a panic attack. Uh, Knuckles white as they grip uh, the seat rest, eyes wide uh, in horror and terror. Um, And as um, a noise comes from the mechanical bits of the the plane uh, below you, Uh, They actually let out a gasp of horror. Uh, It looks as though at any moment they're going to make a run for the emergency exit um, as if you could get through it. You lean over. It's okay. That noise is just the landing gear coming down. It's supposed to happen like that. It's fine. We're in safe hands. Paul's letter to these Christians in Rome, written to people who have reasons to worry. Or at least they think they do. I don't know, maybe a a good friend um, is about to move to another part of the country to work, uh, and it's come as a bit of a surprise, and you wonder whether things are okay. Uh, Maybe illness has come. Maybe somebody close to you has died. And you think, is this Christian faith really as secure and as reliable and as trustworthy as it seemed? I'm still sinning. I thought all of that was supposed to be dealt with. Is this really okay? And in this part of the letter, these few chapters here, it is as if Paul is leaning over. Just to say, listen, it's okay, these things do happen. It's not out of control. This is working out. As God intends, there is reasons to be sure and confident. Uh, and as we were beginning to see last week, uh, much of this particular chapter, chapter 8, is focused on the, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and there's so much confusion tucked in uh, around uh, uh, the Holy Spirit and his work, isn't there? Um, maybe it's the language of the Holy Ghost um, that has left some people with a kind of strange, kind of gothic fairy tale-like sort of weirdness. Um, for others, maybe uh, the, the Holy Spirit seems a bit like some sort of force from Star Wars uh, that we need to have with us in order to uh, combat the dark side. For, for still others, the Holy Spirit sort of seems to be located in, in some sort of spiritual petrol tank Um, that needs topping up every now and again um, because he leaks out of us. All sorts of confusion about uh, who the Holy Spirit is, what what he does. In the Bible, the Spirit is always personal, not an it, but a he. And so three headings, and they're on the back of the service sheet, um, three headings that that help us to think through um, some really punchy, powerful things. Um, in these few verses uh, we looked at verses one to four last week uh, so we're on five uh, to eleven this week um, three things I want to say if you are in Christ then your mindset will be pleasing to God if you are in Christ then the spirit is in you if you are in Christ you have a sure resurrection hope let's work through those Let's see how they are laid out for us here. Um, First, if you are in Christ, then your mindset will be pleasing to God. Uh, It's tightly worded. Let me go back, read from verse 5 again. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You catch the idea that Paul is saying to be in the Spirit is to have your mind set on something. And the language, I think, gives it away. To have your mind set on something is to have a fundamental attitude toward, to have a predominant worldview um, to have a mindset um, that is of a particular nature. Uh, and according to Paul here, there are just two mindsets. You either have the mindset of the spirit, or you have the mindset of the flesh. And flesh here captures everything that is about our fallen human nature. Um, but for Paul, because, we're a, because he's writing to Christians, these Christians have their mindset on the spirit. In other words, they have a mindset that has Christ at the center. The mindset of the flesh, by contrast, very different to that. The mindset of the flesh has me at the center. I view everything from my perspective. You know, what people are doing and saying. How does that relate to me? Uh, what people are thinking? How are they thinking about me? What people are saying, what are they saying about me? It's that experience of, you know, you look at a photo, who's the group photo, first face you can see is your own. Uh, Scan through a list of names, first name you can see is your own. Everything orientates around us. I heard a lovely example last week um, that goes like this. Imagine or remember the last really good argument you had. Well, I mean, you know, really good as in sort of really bad. You know what I mean? It's a really substantial argument. Uh, think back to that argument. Um, and now imagine, after the argument has finished, uh, you know, it's an argument with your flatmate, argument with uh, someone in your family. And after the argument is finished, imagine as you play it through in your mind. You know how we do that, don't we? We go back over the and we remember what they said. And we remember what we said. And then we begin to think what we would like to have said. Uh, and the other bits of the argument that we would like to have introduced at that point. Because we replay it all in our minds, and guess what? We win! We always win, don't we? I mean, when you replay an argument like that, have you ever lost? You you, you roll it back around in your mind and you think, oh, no, I was wrong. We never do that. You you and I have lost lots of arguments in real life. We've never lost one of the replays. Why not? Because it's all about us. We play it through from our perspective. We are at the center. That's what the mindset according to the flesh is like. And to become a Christian is to shift out of that. To shift out from having me at the centre to put Christ uh, at the centre instead. And it is a dramatic change. Do you see that? Because verse 7, without the Spirit of God, I have a mind that is hostile to God. Without the Spirit of God, I have a mind that not only does not submit to God's law, but can't. Because the law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, have a mindset that puts God at the center. And in the absence of that, we cannot, verse 8, please God. And maybe you think that's a little bit strong. I mean, maybe you're thinking to yourself, hang on a minute. Um, lots of non-Christians I do, do do lots of really nice things. I know lots of really generous non-believers. Lots of people who, who, who make great sacrifices. Lots of people who do kind and thoughtful things for other people. Why would those nice, lovely, kind, generous, loving things, why would they not please God? And think of it like this. Imagine I buy some flowers uh, for my wife Beth. Now, is she pleased? Yes, of course she's pleased. She may simultaneously be a little bit surprised and suspicious, but let's walk past that. Uh, let's just stick with the pleased bit. I, I buy her flowers, she's pleased. Now, suppose I then buy some other flowers and I give them to a woman that I'm having an affair with. Is she pleased? Of course she's not pleased. How could she be pleased? But well, I'm doing a nice thing, aren't I? I'm giving some flowers. That's a very lovely thing to do. Well, but she's not pleased because I'm giving some flowers, because I'm giving them to somebody else. Do you see that morality is not abstract? Our morality is always relational. What we do has its moral value around the person that we are doing it for. You see, a good thing is not a good thing in isolation. It's a good thing determined by the nature of the relationships. Who am I doing it for and why? I seek to be very nice to somebody else. But I do it because I want you to like me. I'm doing it for myself. Very different to do something nice to you because I want to please Christ. Do you see how different it is? It can be the same action, but very different motivation. That's why without the Spirit of God, without, in other words, a centering on Christ himself, I can't please God because I won't be doing it for God. I'll be doing it for myself, for my own honour, for my own glory. I have to have Christ at the centre in order to be able to do something that is for him. And a non-believer can never do that. They may have all sorts of motivations running around, but it won't be that they're doing it for Christ. They won't be loving the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. So without the Spirit, you can't please God. So what's it like when you do have the Spirit? Well, Christ at the center, and you notice changes in your life. You notice first that you want to be like him. You want to live in imitation of him to change gradually into his likeness. That becomes a new ambition for you. You got that? You got that ambition to be bit by bit, day by day, year by year, more and more like Jesus? Is that your ambition? If so, it's the Spirit in you. Second, you want to speak of him because you want glory and honor to come to him. Of course you want people to know about him because he's the best thing in your life. And you want other people to to know the best thing. You want him to be honoured. You want people to to hear just how marvellous he is. You want him to be at the centre, not only of your life, but of of other people's lives. Because he is the centre of all things. So you want to be like him. You want other people to hear about him. And you want his church, his body on earth, to grow. So you come and be a part of a church. And you serve that church out of a determination that he might be honoured in his world. Now, if those things are going on in your life, then it's because the Spirit is at work in you. And if they're not, if if there's no sign of any of those, then chances are it's because you're not yet a Christian believer. So, first... To be in Christ is to have his mindset, a mindset that is pleasing to God. And then second, if you are in Christ, then the Spirit is in you. Such an important verse, isn't it? Verse 8. You, however... Having said that that here are these people who can't please God, well, now verse 8, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. You're not in that old fallen way. No, you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Really important. Paul's saying, there aren't three classes of Christians here. Or there aren't three, sorry, there aren't three classes of people here. um, People who are not Christians, Uh, people who are Christians, and then people who are spirit-filled Christians. It's not three categories, just two. There are people who aren't Christians, and there are spirit-filled Christians. There is no other category. It's kind of funny here, isn't it? Because, um, oh, where's my pencil? I brought a pencil with me. Ah, pencil. So we we spent ages over the last few weeks, haven't you? And I've been boring you um, with with all this business of, oh, it's there, (laughs) look. Um, you can have that back now. Um, here's my pencil. So in the Bible, we've been saying in Christ. You know, the pencil is in Christ. We are in Christ. Uh, and we've been going on and on about that. That's, that's what we are. But do you now see what's being said? Here in these verses, we been saying, if you are in Christ, then actually the Spirit is in you. The Spirit indwells you. Actually, the language here is pretty confusing, isn't it? Did you catch that? If you're in the realm of the Spirit, then verse 8, the Spirit of God lives in you. But then later in the verse we learn it's not the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of Christ that's in you. And then at the beginning of verse 9, it's no longer the Spirit at all, but it's Christ himself who is in you. And you kind of sort of say, hang on, Paul, sort yourself out. Which is it? Is it the Spirit of God, or is it the Spirit of Christ, or is it Christ himself? And of course the answer is in Paul's thinking it's all three because we're talking about the indwelling presence of a Trinitarian God, the three-personed God. The key issue to see is that when we become a Christian, we are, at that moment, born again as a 100% spirit-filled believer. It doesn't mean there isn't growing to do. For sure there is growing to do. There is maturing to do doesn't mean we're as godly as we will be. But it does mean that at that moment, the moment of becoming a Christian, we are a 100% spirit-filled believer. Um, I don't know if they've gone downstairs. uh, Ollie's still there, but um, Anne's gone downstairs with Edith. Ollie, how old now is Edith? Five weeks? Four weeks, okay. Little Edith, four-week-old baby. She is already 100% Carson, Ollie and Anne Carson. You know, day one, she was 100% Carson. She's not growing to gradually become Carson esque. No, she's 100% Carson from day one. There's lots of growing to be done, lots of maturing to be done, but from the first moment, she was 100% Carson. The same is true of, of you and I. You become a Christian, you're 100% a spirit filled Christian. The, the Spirit of Christ lives in you, not, not part of Him. You can't have part of a person. That's the reason for Paul's assurance at this point. Understand that in becoming a Christian, the Spirit of Christ came to dwell within you. You are filled by His Spirit. 100%. And then, thirdly, if you are in Christ, you have a sure resurrection hope. See how He's building up the measures of assurance. If you're in Christ, you have a sure resurrection hope. Um, Let me read that final section again from verse 10. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Because of his spirit who lives in you. Uh, Forgive me for being a little bit personal here. Um, A few months back, um, only only a week or so after the death of my mother, um, I was listening to a talk where someone was speaking uh, of Christ and his victory over death. Um, And I remember sitting, thinking, that was too quick, you move past that death idea too quickly. We've got to, got to stay with that. We've got to dwell with that a little bit longer. Because death isn't an idea, death isn't a concept. You know, Jesus has victory over death. Like We use it like an idea, like a concept. Isn't it good? We've got victory over death. And we're speaking in abstract, theoretical terms. And I think death is not abstract. Death is not theoretical. Death is concrete, and it's real. There comes a point where our eyes stop seeing, where our lungs stop breathing, where our minds can no longer construct a thought. There comes a point when death arrives for each one of us. It's not a concept. It's a reality. And and because only a few weeks before, I'd sat at my mother's bedside as she drew her last breath and became dead. It was too quick to say, oh, Jesus gives us victory over death. We've got to dwell with it. But, But even now... Four months later, that deep sense of our own mortality has begun to drift away from me. Why? Because we can't sit with it. We struggle to sit with it. I'll be 58 later this year. I still think I'm 25. But I'm dying. All of us are dying. We're all headed towards mortal death. So do you see the power of this? If we will engage with that reality, how important it is to know that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. It's the same idea. There are these two realms. There is the realm of the flesh, which is not animated by the Spirit of God and it leads to death and there is the realm of the Spirit and it can only lead to life because where else could it lead if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is in you? What else could it lead to if that's what indwells you? The very Spirit that animated Jesus and brought him out of the grave to resurrection life. Not a life that's going to die again but a life that goes on for eternity. Do you see how assuring this is? See what comfort this is for Christian believers who who are worried that things aren't quite as they should be. Three things. If you are in Christ, you have a mindset now that is pleasing to God. You've put Christ where he should be, at the center, and it'll be evident in your life. If you are in Christ, then God's Spirit indwells you. Fully, completely. And if you're in Christ, you have a sure resurrection hope. And at this point, you'd think, I want to tell you all about implications of that. Do you know, I don't. At this point, I don't want to tell you all the things that you need to do. I I want to assure you of the things that Christ has done. That you might have assurance. Because that's what Paul wants for you at this point. It, It is as if he is leaning over in the aeroplane, and saying, it's okay. Whatever it is that is unsettling you, unnerving you, troubling you, whatever is, as it were, the of the of the landing gear coming down that's making you panic, it's okay. Because of what he has done, because of his spirit dwelling in you, because of a sure and certain resurrection hope, it is okay because of what he has done. And I just want to leave you with that. I don't want to leave you with anything to do. I want you to do a reminder of what he has done. And that leads us right to this. This is how he did it. These reminders of his death and his resurrection. So let's be quiet for a minute, and then David uh, will lead us into sharing bread and wine together as we remember Christ's gift to us.